Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful. There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth generation family run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process to help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. Tired of waiting for ownership decisions to happen? Frustrated with promises broken? Enter Innovative Management Veterinary Solutions, or IVMS. IVMS's goal is to grow privately held, profitable, unique hospitals across Canada, allowing you, the veterinarian, to focus on medicine and not the practice nuances. They handle accounting, bookkeeping, marketing, advertising, human resources, and so much more. The plan is easy as one, two, three. First, you come work joining the leadership team for a year to learn the systems and processes, ensuring the fit is right for everyone. Second, you enter into a 50-50 partnership to launch your hospital. Again, you help drive where you go. Three, work together, launch, and scale your hospital. Questions? Head to the link in the show notes for more information, how to connect, and see if this is the right opportunity you've been waiting for. Check out Innovative Management Veterinary Solutions. Find out for yourself why my friends at Shepherd Veterinary Software are the fastest growing practice management software. Hint, they're doing something right. Founded by Dr. Cindy Barnes, Shepherd is an intuitive, easy to learn, streamlines practice management. Built for vets, by vets, it works for you and your team so you have more time to spend on what's most important, your patients. Shepherd automatically updates the medical records, adds services to the invoice, generates discharge instructions, and so much more. Bring home more stories and less stress. Check them out at shepherd.vet. Again, that's shepherd.vet. Hey, drama. Yes, we do too. That's why it doesn't exist here. It's the only core value that is non-negotiable. Culture is key at Point Grey and Fraser View Veterinary Hospital located in Vancouver, British Columbia, an outdoors person's paradise. Privately owned, fear-free certified practice, the only fear-free practice in Vancouver. No catches, no hidden terms, no negative accrual, no non-compete, and fully transparent. So what do we expect? Sense of humor? We love to laugh, tell jokes, and banter. Be adaptable? Strong team-oriented personality drive and willingness to excel. What should you expect? you love snacks? Who doesn't? We have a staff room filled with a variety of snacks. We've got you covered. How about coffee or tea? We have you covered. Enjoy a two-month schedule made in advance so you can actually plan your life. No nights or Sundays guaranteed. Salary up to $170,000, including 20 to 25% commission. Visa sponsorship considered, as well as opportunities for ownership. So apply today for Point Grey and Fraser View Veterinary Hospital. Link in the show notes. Why do most banks always seem to be impersonal? slow to answer questions, or give you the runaround on getting money needed for your dreams. Enter Panacea Financial. Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Whether you're a veterinarian in training, practice owner, or aspire to be one, someday... 
Panacea Financial is designed specifically for you. It was started by two doctors who were frustrated in working with banks and so started their own to serve their community. With common sense lending guidelines and fast decisioning, they've helped doctors all across the country start, grow, and acquire their dream practice. Looking to buy into a practice? Panacea helps doctors with practice buy-in loans that are funded in a matter of days, not weeks, or months. If you're ready to join the thousands of doctors nationwide who have declared independence from traditional banks, visit panaceafinancial.com today to see how they can get you started with your dreams. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. All right, today I am joined by Dr. Liz Barton, who is the head of communications at VetCT, co-founder of WellVet. And VetCT's mission is to make the veterinary world a better place through trust and knowledge, support, education at the point of need. And then WellVet caters to DVMs for their mind, body, soul, and the veterinary teams through sports hobbies, social connections, personal development, and workshops. Dr. Barton, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. So we were just joking that we had chatted quite a long time ago and you were busy. We were both at VMX. We've done lots of different stuff. And we're like, what do we talk about? Right? Like, what are we what are we going to talk about today? I actually really love something that you said right before we clicked record. And I was like, shoot, I wish we would have clicked record. But you said you like to kind of smash through topics that are maybe considered taboo. And I think there's a couple of things that I want to get to. But one early on is, and it stuck with me when we chatted because you said, is this it? And it was kind of the feeling that you had upon getting through education, getting into practice, going through all these experiences. And it's like, I've worked so long and I want to do this forever. Is this it? And I think that's such a powerful and then a scary question to like, let yourself actually ask it. But I wanted for those that maybe don't know you to, to share a little bit about your background and then what kind of led you to asking that question? Because I think a lot of people will just try to push that out of their mind for a while. Yeah, thank you. Gosh, what an opener. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was born and bred in the UK. Since the age of four, I'd wanted to be a vet. And my school teacher said to me, well, you're going to have to work really hard. And from the age of four, that motivated me to work really hard to the point of, complete tunnel vision everything was about becoming a vet everything I did as hobbies and you know as a teenager working at animal sanctuaries and seeing practice etc all in my own time um, all of it was about achieving this goal and I was absolutely overjoyed when I got into vet school and loved learning loved the course obviously it was quite intense at times <laughs> But yeah, I really enjoyed all the seeing practice, etc. And so I just had this complete tunnel vision. And at the end, I would emerge and I would be a vet and my life would be wonderful and I'd get paid. I'd actually get paid to do this amazing job. And then I emerged out of the tunnel into the light at the end. I graduated in 2004 from the University of Cambridge, having had a great time. And I was like, oh, I've got bills to pay and my car's broken down. How do I fix that? And work's actually really full on. It's really busy. It's very intense. A lot of it's actually quite boring, just vaccinating and skin disease and just that kind of life happening and work kind of not necessarily being all I thought it would be and not quite fulfilling me in the way that I thought it would. And then all the things around relationships. And I actually got quite lonely in my first job. It was a remote job in the um, beautiful Lake District, all creatures great and small <laughs> um, in the north of England. But I actually left that job because I was really lonely. 
So I think there's a lot about the stuff of life that happens outside of the workplace, even if we do enjoy our work. Sometimes it's, you know, we can see it through rose tinted spectacles when we're a student and we don't necessarily understand the reality of what it is to live and work in quite an intense and demanding field that the financial pressures, we don't understand necessarily the stress that those are going to have on us after graduation. And yeah, just all the other things about looking after our mental, physical, social health that we don't necessarily pay enough attention to, I think, as we're developing as studying and early career veterinarians. If you could go back and give yourself advice on how you would prepare, like you said, maybe prepared for what when the schooling was over, right? So you obviously knew what that world was, what that beast was, like you could work and grind that out. Then it's like, okay, now I'm in the, I hate the term the real world, but then you get to the real world and it's like, oh, this is not the same setting. Maybe, I don't know. I think we just need to manage expectations better. So expectations of what financial management looks like, expectations of how to take care of ourselves particularly when we graduate and we maybe move to a new area move to a new job move away from those sort of social circles and support networks that we have relied upon I think we really need to be better equipped as we go through the kind of university and training process to really be mindful of those areas of our lives and to be aware of how important it is to dedicate time, effort, resource to make sure that we've got a financial plan in place, to make sure that we know how to look after ourselves in terms of healthy sleeping and eating habits and to make sure that we put in place support systems, you know, make sure that we dedicate time to keeping up relationships with friends and family and finding groups in new areas um, of people that we can really resonate with and share values with and, you know, find our tribe, I guess is what I'm saying, you know, because I think a lot of people don't necessarily realise that a lot of that resilience, that ability to bounce back through periods of challenge, a lot of that is extrinsic. A lot of that comes from our support networks and the people that we have around us. And just to really make sure that we prioritise those things and we understand the impact it has on our overall well-being to make sure that we're building those things into our lives as a vet or a vet tech and uh, making sure it's not all about the clinical work it is about us as a whole person. Yeah the resilience piece and having the support network I think that makes total sense I mean a species right human we want to be around others like the isolation is not good for us and do you think that it's a way that you know there's a most veterans are wired a certain way and maybe they're not as Red, like they need to work on that more or is it depend on the individual? Like there's so much around the idea of looking for others to help support you versus kind of taking that personal responsibility to say like, I have it within me to do this or work through it. Like how do you balance that to where you're not basically saying like, it's someone else that needs to give it to me versus I have enough to make sure that I can, can address the challenges and issues. Like, does that make sense? My question, I don't know if it's clear or not. Yeah, I think veterinary selects for high achieving perfectionists and sometimes we see asking for help acknowledging that we need help and support as a failure because 
it's all been about academic achievement. And that's so far removed from what it takes to deliver animal care. It takes emotion. It takes empathy. It takes great communication. And actually, we all need help and support in those areas. None of us come out fully fledged in that from university. We come out at the very beginnings of that journey. So admitting that we need support and help is not admitting that we're not as clever as the next vet or we're not as clinically able. It's about saying, actually, this is a challenging job for many reasons and we are going to make mistakes. We are going to need support. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to show up as our whole selves. And it's really about developing that sense of belonging, you know, being able to be true to yourself with the people that you're working with and living amongst and really feeling that you belong there and you're able to bring your whole self to that situation and be true to yourself rather than pretending that you've got all the answers and that you've got it sorted. And I think that can be a different mindset for people who have thought it's all about academic achievement and being the best that we can be. Actually, it's a lot more about being true, being open, being vulnerable, being honest with each other. Have you found as you've gotten older that you realize everyone that you thought had everything figured out is kind of figuring out as they go as well? It's one thing that I've noticed as like, man, you look up to all these different people and they're still human, just like us, and they still make mistakes and they still are confused and trying to figure it out. But they might have a, not a front, they can be authentic and still be doing it, but they're able to kind of navigate and figure that out and be kind of comfortable enough to at least let the rest of us think that they have it figured out. And when you do get someone to share, it's like, oh, high achiever, they're struggling the same ways. Like they have imposter syndrome. They have this challenge. Like what? I would have never thought that. Is that a realization you've found? There are very few people who genuinely have just sailed through life and have all of the resources they need to do so at their fingertips. Normally it's because they're surrounded by great people and don't necessarily (laughs) realize that. But I think some of the greatest lessons I've learned as I've progressed have actually been when people have opened up about those challenges. And it's interesting you mentioned that imposter syndrome because I've always had the tendency to put people with lots of letters after their name on, you know, an enormous pedestal. And somebody said to me the other day, oh, the more letters I get after my name, the more of a fraud I feel because the more I have to live up to. (laughs) And actually, this was an incredibly eminent veterinarian. And I was just absolutely blown away that, you know, she was sort of saying, oh, you know, I feel like a fraud. (laughs) you of all people so yeah I think it's incredibly common in our industry that sort of imposter syndrome and I think that does come from the fact that as I say it does sort of seem to select the high achieving perfectionist personalities coupled with the sort of caring and empathetic people I think quite often we're a lot better at showing compassion than we are at showing self-compassion I think we're a lot more forgiving and empathetic towards our patients and our colleagues than we are towards ourselves and maybe we could actually do with exhibiting a bit more (laughs) self-compassion absolutely absolutely one of the things when we had chatted before that I've said, and I've said it a lot on this show, and you kind of were like, "Mm, I'd push back on that, which I loved. And I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but I'd kind of always talked about like this reframing of, I get to do this versus I have to do this. And I've always tried to use that as like, okay, if I have a little bit more gratitude that these are problems or these are, this is an area of life that historically I would have been really happy to have this issue or challenge and trying to like, just, I don't know, not 
like, woe is me, but just say like, this is a blessing in its own way. When we had chatted, you pushed back a little bit on that. If you remember, I think you had some interesting things to say about that and just that reframe and maybe not liking it quite as much as I do. I'd love to hear more on that. Yeah. So I think, again, some of this is around expectation. As I was saying, you know, the job's not necessarily all it's cracked up to be. But also, I think the worry about saying, you know, I'm lucky I get to do this, etc., is that actually, if the working conditions are suboptimal, and we could be doing things better than actually kind of accepting it and saying, oh, I get to do this, I'm lucky, I should sort of just crack on with it, rather than saying, actually, this isn't working for me. And long term, this is not sustainable. What could we do better or differently to make this, whether it's a workflow or a culture or the way we deliver care, is there ways of doing this better? So while I I understand that sort of feeling of we should be grateful for what we've learned and how we can apply it and getting to actually, it's not always like there's a perfect job out there. We should be content where we are. I think contentedness and actually valuing the skills that we've got and the privileges that come with being in the profession that we're in. Yes, they do have value, but it shouldn't stop us questioning where the things should be done better if we are finding it challenging. Yeah. Talking about skills, what are some of the skills that you found that you were trained clinically on that have been the most beneficial in some of the roles that you've taken on since not doing as much clinical work? Like, is there anything that you can point to like that skill that I developed or learned is super transferable because I, I view this a lot within veterinary medicine. That's like, oh my gosh, this training and the knowledge and just the vastness of what veterinary care takes, like that takes a special human to be able to do that. And that's unique. And there's not a lot of professions that get trained or challenged the same way that I think veterinarians do. Yeah, I think obviously the training is, particularly when I trained, 99.9% of it was clinical. I wouldn't say my lecture on grasses was the most useful, (laughs) but certainly in clinical practice, I was really fortunate. I got to use pretty much the full breadth of everything I'd learned. I did, you know, as I said before, really all creatures, great and small practice. But the things that I picked up subsequently, and I think I learned these more when I was seeing practice than any kind of formal education at vet school. And the things that have been the most valuable transferable skills is just that diagnostic inquiring mind. So, okay, I'm presented with a problem. So rather than focusing on the problem, how can we get to the bottom of the problem? What are the different factors that are contributing to this problem? If we don't know, how can we find out? Once we've found out, what's the next step? That's not just my own decision. I have to do that in concert with the owner and taking into account finance and available resources and staffing and the condition of the patient, et cetera, et cetera. So then having that ability to then take sort of multifactorial elements to then draw up a kind of solution or a next step, that kind of analytical mind, being able to get a lot of information from a lot of places, ask questions and then formulate responses and next steps, I think is an incredible transferable skill. And alongside that, what is essential is good communication skills, being able to communicate with your team, being able to communicate with owners. And this is not just owners of our own demographic. I was up in the Lake District. Some of the farmers I could barely understand, you know, kind of rural Cumbrian. It's a very strong accent. 
And you're dealing with people from all sorts of different socioeconomic backgrounds, etc. And just vast from it was 10 minute consultations every 10 minutes, you know, kind of different communication style (laughs) and different personalities that you're dealing with. So I think all of those skills are incredibly valuable and transferable to just about any other field. (laughs) And so those are the ones that I've really found invaluable. And I almost feel empowered to turn my hand to pretty much anything, to be honest. Yeah. It just gives you confidence that it's like, I can navigate this. I can figure it out. I'm smart. I've encountered a lot of things. I wasn't quite sure exactly where it would lead and we were able to solve it. Yeah. I think as well, rather than being the kind of, you know, the encyclopedias of knowledge as we would have been formerly, now with the kind of growth and wealth of knowledge that's out there and the rapid progression of medicine, etc., rather than being the purveyors of all knowledge, we're now more the curators of knowledge. So a lot of it is about being able to say, well, I don't know the answer and having the confidence to say, but I know where I can find it and I know where I can make sure it's a reliable resource, that I can make sure it's evidence-based, you know. So I think as well, having that ability and I guess that confidence that if we don't know the answers, we can, we're sort of empowered to go and find them in a way that makes sure we can get good quality evidence. What are you most excited about or what's a topic that's, you know, on your mind at the moment? Is there anything that you think top of mind? I think just, I mean, this is a complete sea change. Yeah, this is totally fine. Yeah. But I think just how much technology the potential of technology to sort of empower what we do and not just provide sort of connected care but also more holistic care as well just thinking from everything from designing pet and animal diets through to home monitors giving us more accurate data through to being able to provide care to more rem- animals and people, animals and their carers in more remote areas and sort of improving accessibility of care through to providing more flexible and remote working opportunities for veterinary teams, providing sort of point of care advice and support and Again, the sort of around the corner AI and what that can do to just sort of ease the pressure on workflows and improve sort of workplace efficiencies and optimization. I think there's so much pressure on the industry at the moment. And I think technology is going to, in the next sort of five to 10 years, play a huge role in answering some of those workflow, I guess, crunch points where we're struggling to deliver care in the way that we would like to the number of animals that we would like. So I'm really excited to see how all of that develops. On the kind of non-clinical side, I think it's really exciting to see how much more the conversation around wellness is opening up globally and how we are integrating it into everything from veterinary conferences to practice policy just to make sure we're doing more to look after our staff and how that's also filtering into universities there's more teaching and education around as you know we sort of started the conversation around how to look after yourself so yeah I guess on the non-clinical side it's that side of things as well.
If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. What do you think? Because I think the remote, the kind of work from home, there's obviously been big shifts in lots of industries. Veterinary medicine a little different, but not fully like excluded from that work from home. Is there any remote work within, again, the skills that you have as a veterinarian that you look into the future and say, that's going to be a really neat role that it's going to be location independent for the knowledge that a veterinarian could have? Because I think that flexibility could be huge for whether it's family, whether it's, you know, there's lots of constraints at times when you have to be there, right? To have your hands on, you know, the animal to diagnose and go through some of those things. Yeah, I think the one of the biggest ones is that triage piece of just making sure, does this need hands-on or is it something that can be dealt with at home and therefore sort of empowering the people who are remote working to maybe do post-op checks or, I mean, the whole the wealth of telemedicine we don't need to sort of list all of the different indications but sure. but the things that can be done at home to be done at home as well education you know we're seeing a lot of education moving online obviously by necessity through covid but that doesn't just provide an alternative learning platform for students it also provides an alternative teaching platform and actually some of the radiology residencies um Betsy T is involved in providing up to 50% of the training, all of it remotely. Now, for me, as a mum who came to a very clear sort of crunch point in my career, kids or residency, it literally felt that stark 10-ish years ago when I was thinking about this because I didn't want to do both. And God bless those people who managed to do both. I would love to see flexible residency pathways, further training pathways that actually enable people to do part of it remotely as well as in person. There's no reason why some of it can't be. We're just historically used to flogging residents <laughs> with ridiculously long hours and 100% clinic-based work. So, yeah, so I think there's a lot of potential to look at different ways across the veterinary sector from students to practitioners to educators to learners that we could actually do more online and make it more flexible not just in terms of hours but also location and yeah medium as well yeah so kind of going back a little bit to the women in vet med and I'm almost a little timid to touch the topic just because it is so weird for me to ask about it but you'd brought up when we chatted before kind of menopause in veterinary medicine and some of the stuff going on there it's never been discussed in the podcast. Thoughts on that, what you've seen, what's happening there from that standpoint? Yeah, so I think I'm accidentally becoming the face of UK veterinary menopause, not intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> um, just for listeners, I am 44, so it's probably quite a hot topic for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this actually happened, as I say, accidentally. We were having a WellVet virtual in COVID, um, just a virtual conference. 
had about 500 attendees, which was amazing. And we were just inviting groups to kind of break off online and sort of have discussions. And they were this group kind of formed discussing menopause and sort of came back to us and said, like, oh, my goodness, this is the first time or space we've actually connected about this and shared some stories like we need to carry on this conversation. So, you know, I connected with those individuals, carried on the conversation. There was clearly a lot that people wanted to say, even though it was just that handful. I said, well, let's see what we can do. So together with the Society of Practicing Veterinary Surgeons and at time at the time I was editing a platform called Veterinary Woman. And together we did a survey of the profession and the outcomes for that were really stark. And you can actually find the menopause survey on the Veterinary Woman website. But, you know, the impact it impacts over three quarters of women negatively obviously 100% of women go through it like 50% of the population the lucky quarter that have no symptoms you know it's actually quite liberating for a lot of women and a lot of women don't want to talk about it but for those that are impacted actually the most common symptom is actually psychological it's actually anxiety and a lot of people don't know in their sort of 40s 50s why they're becoming anxious is it because their kids are going through puberty and leaving home and they sort of feel like they're lagging behind knowledge at work and there's all these young people coming you know is it that or is it actually just hormonal and it's because your hormones have gone crazy and if you get some treatment for that you won't be anxious anymore you know obviously the things that people are kind of familiar with and night sweats and joint aches etc but a lot of these things are really debilitating when you've got a physical job mind fogginess mood swings sleeplessness night sweats just goes on and on and on I had itchy ears the other day and I was going what's all this about and I looked it up guess what it can be related to perimenopause you know and symptoms typically last for between the ages of 45 and 55 menopause being the just for clarification menopause being the actual time that you stop having regular periods but actually the perimenopause period the kind of before and after through which you can show symptoms can go on for a decade or more and this is in a sort of feminizing profession where we're having increasing numbers of females where we have a recruitment and retention crisis the results from the survey, people were giving up work altogether. They were coming out of leadership roles. They were reducing their hours. If we're doing more to support these women, to, you know, give them the information, to make it OK to have a conversation, to adjust the working environment, we could be doing a huge amount more to empower them to stay healthy, fit, working, enjoying their careers and helping to solve the sort of staffing crisis that we've got. So, yeah, it's a big topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was like, you know what? It came up in our conversation. I was like, I don't know if I want to go there or not. I'm like, I do, because I think it's interesting. I've never had anyone else share the information and knowing I didn't know that you were the face in the UK, but you know, now, <laughs> now I do. And so becoming, the, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those things where you get voluntold and you're like, oh man, am I now the person that's heading all this up? Like, oh shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not What's my most uh, glamorous name? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, man, I'd like some other title. Can I pick something else? Like, that'd be really cool. <laughs> yeah. What haven't I asked about that's that you feel like is important or something that you'd want to share? I think kind of coming back to the self-compassion piece, we just need to prioritize ourselves better. I think we don't necessarily give ourselves the time to sit back and think, what matters to me? Like that Simon Sinek, you know, what is our why? What drives me? Why am I not feeling 
happy or contented or I think we have a tendency to just soldier on and I think we're doing ourselves and those around us a disservice by doing that and I just wish things like coaching or counseling where you have an external person talking you through that process I think not only should there not be any shame about that we should be championing that and looking at reading learning about these different sort of self-help topics and things that can really empower us to just live better in mind body and soul the whole sort of premise of Wellvet was to make well-being tools more accessible to people and to encourage them to try different things that work for them and different things will work for different people and also for the same person different things will work at different times of your life you'll have different priorities your purposes and values will shift over time but we don't prioritize it and I think it can be a bit of navel gazing and a bit of a waste of time but actually if we don't get that foundation right of what is our purpose how can we tell a better story about ourselves to ourselves and to others that really makes our heart sing and helps us to live in a contented way then I think we're missing the point to be honest (laughs) I always let any guest that comes on the show ask me any question or anything that they want to ask. So again, it's been a minute. I was like, I usually try to let people know that they can ask me a question so they can think on it. But I've had all kinds of what I would call silly or like fun questions, like super serious questions. So you can take it any way that you want. Is there any question you'd want to ask or anything you want to know? Okay. Oh, this is a super serious one. Okay. Yeah. And it's literally... I've never thought about Bitcoin before, but you've got a Bitcoin poster yeah, behind yeah. you and I sure. saw some Bitcoin posts on your feed. And then just literally it flashed up on my sort of news feed. I didn't have a chance to read it, but it was about the sort of sustainability behind Bitcoin and that it's not a very sustainable sort of investment. I just wonder what your thoughts were on that. Sure. I'm just intrigued and I know nothing about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I know that there's a handful of people that listen that I know well that are going to just like be dying laughing that you asked that question. Like, oh boy, Isaiah's going to go on for an hour now. I'll keep it shorter. So yeah, so from a sustainability, I think a lot of environmental stuff gets talked about with Bitcoin that it's going to use as much energy as a country. I think Portugal was one. The challenge there is what is a good use of energy? And I would ask you that, like, and ask any human, like, what's a good use of energy? Like, is our Christmas lights a good use of energy? Is a refrigerator a good use of energy? Is a dryer a good use of energy? And and try to say compared to what? So most of the energy produced in the world, about a third of it, never reaches its final destination, so it's wasted. And so right now, Bitcoin uses about 0.01% of the world's energy, so it's pretty small. And one of the neat things is a lot of what Bitcoin mining. So when people say Bitcoin mining, it's really just a computer server, just like Amazon or Google, like it's just a warehouse of servers. What they can do is they can harness wasted energy because you can actually take the energy that's there, consume it where you and I, going back to your example, we might not want to live out by where the energy is getting consumed or produced, right? Like it's remote, it's weird. It's not somewhere that people want to call home but servers don't care where they park, right? And so the cool thing with that is it doesn't have to be used or anything there because it's digital money. That digital money can go anywhere around the world. So it's a way to monetize waste. And actually there's some really good resources and some good stories with stuff going on in actually um, Congo where they're using hydroelectric nuclear energy and building it out using Bitcoin initially, miners to generate the, the power and having a buyer for it. And then they're able to then bring that 
electricity to those surrounding communities that have really intermittent power. And so like, that's obviously one of those like feel good stories that people can like attach to and, and you could think about it, but it's the same way. And you can look at in the United States, there's a lot of oil and gas and there's flare. So the EPA requires that if there's methane coming off of a drilling operation, they have to burn it and they can only burn so much because it's you know harmful to the atmosphere. Well, what they can do is they can attach a Bitcoin mining operation to that in a generator and they can actually consume the methane and mine Bitcoin off that. And it's actually better for the environment because they don't burn it off. So there's lots of things like that. I think Bitcoin, the energy consumption will and likely go up. And I would ask or suggest from the standpoint of what is a good use of energy, fair and honest money that can't be taken, censored, debased, which basically means devalued. Is that important for humanity? And does that make the world better? So if I'm a veterinarian, can I go to work, create value? So take care of people and pets. Can I just save my money, spend time with my family and not have to hire a investment advisor to like figure out the markets and go do things? It's like, that's a pretty cool thing. Like if I could actually just save money versus you have to earn it and now you have to then go invest it to have something there for the future. And so that's the way that I would look at it is I think ultimately what Bitcoin accomplishes is it's better money and it allows for more human flourishing and the energy is absolutely part of that. But that's a that might be a stretch for a lot of people, but that's partially why I talk about it as much as I do because I think it's, meaningful and powerful. And I've called it for this decade, I think it's the financial story of the decade. It'll probably be the financial story of the next decade and the decade after. But again, I'm super biased and anyone that listens to the podcast knows <laughs> that. But I, I, I've, I've asked and I've inquired to try to bring kind of the anti-case for folks. Because I mean, for me, I always want to look at the other side of the thesis, like give me the case of why this doesn't work. And there's a funny saying that Bitcoin needs better critics. And I agree with that. There's not a lot that I can point to where I can say, yeah, it's not a guarantee, but man, there's a lot of positives here. And I think at the end of the day, the merit of what it's trying to accomplish will see through. So that's a way longer answer than I think you wanted, but there's my... No, actually, I thought that was quite succinct. I think that was <laughs> that was really good. It was, uh, I think a lot of these things, we can almost come with our prejudice and then choose to read the things that confirm our bias and um, pick and choose the evidence around it so it's nice to sort of have discussions around the pros and cons of things I think we don't do that enough and I think the kind of modern media has a tendency to sort of polarize opinions or a lot of things rather than sort of fostering healthy debate and discussion so yeah it's really interesting to sort of get that side of it and there's I think again there's a vested interest sometimes for keeping the current structure of the way things are, because there's people that are beneficiaries of that, that would prefer it not to change. And I think one thing that, that Bitcoin does is it challenges a lot of existing power structures. So you can read into that however you want to. I think there's some interesting stuff where it's just trying to take some of the power away from others and just put that back into the responsibility of the individual, which I think is really cool. And ultimately, I think helps with some of the different challenges because finances are a stress on so many families and so many different things. And part of the reason that there's a challenge is it's just hard. If you look at the working hours to buy a home in the United States or in the UK or in Canada or anywhere else, right? That's drastically changed from what it used to be, right? And so it's really difficult. And the other thing, going back to energy, I have to say this because it's such a good point and then I'll move on. But if you have a world that always needs to consume more and consume more in the economy, the GDP always has to grow, how is that sustainable? Mm, And there's a- excellent book written by Jeff Booth called 
the price of tomorrow. And it's why deflation is the key to an abundant future. And I think he wrote it pre-COVID and so many of the things that he's talked about have been put into hyperdrive post-COVID with some of the decisions from a monetary policy of leadership around the world, UK, Canada, United States, everyone, right? The Eurozone, all that. And you think about that, it's like, how is it sustainable if it always has to grow? Like you will always be mm -hmm. consuming all the resources. And mm -hmm. I think there's a lot more to the Bitcoin story where there's people that are anti-Bitcoin that actually have a viewpoint that is very similar to, I think, ultimately where this goes. And it's interesting, right? You just come at it from different angles and everyone has their version of how they're going to solve it. And it's like, if you can coalesce on this one thing where it's, you know, if, if you go upstream of a lot of the issues to me, right, money is one of the things that's fundamentally broken around the world. And this solves that, in my humble opinion. So Yeah, totally. And I totally agree. It's a massive source of stress. Resource management for us as individuals involves our sort of mental and physical capacity, our time, but also our financial capacity, you know, and all of our resources are enablers for us to do things. But, you know, if they're broken, then it's a you know, big source of stress. So I think sustainability, actually, you were asking about sort of topics that are not necessarily exciting, but I think are very of the moment. Obviously, sustainability is a huge one. Everything from single-use plastics in practice through to how we can impact the kind of methane outputs of dairy cows with their diets on a global scale, you know. And kind of one health issues, you know, sort of the kind of emergence of zoonotic diseases, um, COVID being a pretty obvious one from animal species because we're ruining biodiversity and we're destroying the habitats and we're causing more sort of artificial disease mixing through some of our human habits. So, yeah, I think the whole topic around sustainability and how it impacts so broadly is a really fascinating one. And just hearing you talk about Bitcoin in that context, it's one of those things that can feel very separate from a greener planet. But then when you start joining the dots together, everything's connected, right? It is. Yeah. And I just laugh because it's like, man, there's just so much of that where it's like this onion where you can go from one layer and like, oh, then there's this whole other thing. Like, should have been like, how much time do you have? How much time do you want to talk? Right. Yeah. But it yeah, is. Well, the onion it, grows it, outwards, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes <laughs> outwards, right? You're exactly right. It gets bigger. It's not getting smaller. Yeah. To me, it is just a very fascinating topic that I found that I'm like, I want those within veterinary medicine to at least know whether they think I'm crazy or not is a completely separate thing. But someone that is going to continue to share some resources on this and maybe it comes across their phone or their, you know, they're browsing. They're like, Hey, this is interesting. I'm interested in that. And they dig a little deeper. I can't fully create enough content on that to let them borrow my convictions. But it's like, I think the juice is worth the squeeze for everyone to kind of explore it on their own and figure out what's going on. I'll leave you with this. This is one of the biggest Bitcoin podcasts that I think is one of the most prevalent. It's called What Bitcoin Did. And he's in Bedford, the UK, right? And so he actually bought a like fourth tier, fifth tier, his hometown football club is what he wanted to do. And so he's going to try to get them to the Premier League. And it's kind of funny, but his whole thing is trying to bring a different audience into learning about Bitcoin. And he, I think he does a really good job at that. So yeah, there's some UK connections there. He's only about half an hour. Bedford's only about half an hour from here. So really? Yeah. <laughs> drive over so, and say hi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like, I don't even know where Bedford is um, really in, in the UK. I think I've, I've looked it up once, but... Southeast, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. For those that want to connect with you, 
I know you're going to be at WVC. I don't know if we, when we were recording if, if that got on there or not, but you're going to be at WVC. So this will be out probably right around that time, maybe right after actually. I don't know. We'll see. But how do folks connect with you? How would you encourage them to reach out if they want to chat more or learn more about the work that you're doing? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm liz.barton.vet or my email address is liz.barton at vet-ct.com. And I'd love to hear from people. I've got my interests are far and wide. I've got my fingers in lots of pies of, um, you know, various things in the veterinary industry, because I think there's just, it's such a great, as we were saying earlier, such a great industry with such great people. And we could just be doing a lot better to look after ourselves and each other and the animals we care for ultimately as well. So, yeah. All right. So there are a lot of new job postings. I'm going to read through these again. Please let me know if you reach out, connect with anyone, and this becomes a full-time or part-time opportunity for anybody. So the first one is a Central Indiana private practice equine or companion health practitioner, Janison Veterinary Clinic. So JVC is a six-doctor, team-oriented, AHA-accredited hospital with a focus on progressive veterinary medicine, quality patient care, and excellent client relations. Four-day work week with rotating Saturdays, dedicated assistant or licensed veterinary technician, Compensation is a base and bonus structure. Lots of benefits, too many for me to list. Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Minutes away from the beach. Who doesn't love that? No weekends, Monday to Friday, 8 to 5. No on-call or emergencies. Currently a two-and-a-half doctor. Non-corporate, small animal practice. Uh, lots of growth in that area. Associate position, happy to offer mentorship for new grads. ProSal with lots of benefits, too many for me to list. Newport Veterinary Hospital, Newport, Vermont, growing, thriving, rural, small animal practice with a touch of daytime urgent care on the Vermont-Quebec border, seeking the right veterinarian to enjoy the team, full-time preferred, but part-time considered as well, privately owned, value the staff and doctors equally with clients and patients, core values are integrity, motivation, empowerment, cleanliness, education, and compassion. If you love the outdoors, Vermont's hard to beat, list a ton of stuff for you to do there, and on compensation. Basically, it's bottom line. You can write your own ticket within the boundaries of production. The goal is the forward-thinking owner is reasonable, would love to chat and build something that fits for you. And so there are open discussions there on that front. Associate veterinarian, part-time or full-time, Fulton County Veterinary Clinic in Indiana. Are you looking for an oasis in the chaos? Do you want to be valued for your individuality and ingenuity? They offer and strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care, utilize support staff effectively so that the doctor is available to do more medicine and less time doing paperwork. No emergency on call, no after hours, no weekend work will ever be required. Um, flexible scheduling, competitive salary between 100 and 150,000. Signing bonus benefits, uh, too many to include, but one interesting one there as well is a mental health sabbatical. So those are all the offerings. I'm sure there'll be more at some point. I'm going to have to say, I can't read all of them, but uh, if you have one, keep them coming. And I hope that is helpful. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. If you want or need financial advice, my day job on not podcasting is helping veterinarians grow their net worth. Our team is taking new clients and we are ready to talk to you at any stage of life. Come as you are. I always say bring the mess, right? Like if things are unorganized, that's okay. There's no prerequisites to become a client. 
Isaiah Douglas is a partner at Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. The biggest compliment you can give me in the podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcast is the platform that is predominantly used for people listening to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Also, the new YouTube channel is up, and I'd love to have you subscribe. Vainly, I want 100 subscribers at least. Lots more, obviously, right? But I get a vanity URL if we get to 100. That would be great. It makes it easier to find the YouTube channel as well. For all of today's links, information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. It'll be a link to that YouTube channel I just talked about. You won't miss any other episodes, whether you listen on Spotify, whether you have some other ancillary podcast platform please like, subscribe, all that stuff. It certainly does help. I appreciate it. Finally, if you want more information, insights, want your voice to be heard, want to share ideas for content, say, hey, Isaiah, I want you to have this guest. I want you to talk about this topic. Go over to the Facebook group. So you can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom about your host, click on the Facebook icon, and that'll get you in the group. But thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me to be able to see the podcast grow and continue to impact people. So with that, until next time, we'll chat soon.